Today, we are continuing our series called Journey of Faith. And in this four-week series, we're talking about some particularly distinctive ways that Christians who are also Methodists talk about theological ideas that are really important to our Christian faith. And we are doing this because we want each of you to become more familiar with some of the unique traits and characteristics of Wesleyanism and Methodism. We want all of us to have a deeper understanding and a greater ability to talk about our faith in a particularly Wesleyan way because it will be helpful to you and because our theology is a gift, really, that we offer to the world. You see, there are unique ways that Methodists look at and understand Scripture as the Word of God. And in our James series, we're going to focus on how these beliefs are actually put into practice. So again, be sure and grab one of the reading plans on your way out. The image that we are using throughout this series and using today is of a journey, particularly setting sail for a destination. Wesley said his goal was to land safely on that distant, happy shore, and he was referring to heaven. And that's what Wesleyan theology is all about. The model of the spiritual life that Wesley teaches is very comparable to a journey, complete with trials and and tests, with successes and triumphs and everything else that comes along the way. Now, I have been a Methodist my whole life. And I come from a long line of Methodist Christians going back at least five generations that I know of. I was baptized at Hyde Park Community Church. I was confirmed in the faith at Forest Chapel United Methodist Church, and Marge and I were also married there. I received my call to ordain ministry through the ministries of Oakwood United Methodist Church in Dayton. My whole journey of faith has been lived out in United Methodist churches. And seeing the Christian life as a journey is very Wesleyan. I remember when I served at Faith Community United Methodist in Xenia, Marge and I enrolled our girls in a Christian school in Xenia. Now, this school was officially non-denominational, but it had been founded by one of the Baptist churches in Xenia. There was an application that we had to fill out in order to get our kids enrolled. And one of the questions asked, where and when did you get saved? And they give me this teeny tiny little blank (laughs) on the form to fill it out. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to need a lot more space than that to write about my experience of faith. And so... I wrote it out, and I attached a whole extra page to the application. And when we met with the headmaster, he said, I could tell that you were a Methodist or a Wesleyan from a Wesleyan background right away when I saw your answer, because you guys are always talking about your life of faith as a journey. And I got to tell you, he was not wrong. In fact, he got that very, very right. And so far in this series... In week one, we looked at how salvation is a free gift of God, how it is available to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus by an act of their own free will. And last week, we talked about living a life of holiness, 
through faith in Christ, about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the means of grace which help us grow in holiness. Today I want to talk about another Wesleyan understanding, an understanding of assurance. Marge and I just got back from vacation late yesterday evening. We went out to the Pacific Northwest and we had a great time. And I couldn't help but notice as I sat in the airport, both going out and coming back, that there were two, really two different kinds of travelers. There were the travelers who had a confirmed ticket. They knew they had a seat on the plane. They calmly sat at the gate, checking their phone, chatting with neighbors, whatever, just people watching. And the second kind of traveler were those who were flying standby, you know? They spent their whole time hovering around the gate, waiting to see, talking to the ticket agent. Do I have a seat or do I not? Will we get to our destination or not? You know, one day we are all going to take our final journey. And as Wesley said, our goal is to land on that distant, happy shore. But when we arrive at the gate of heaven, will we hear, welcome home, dear child of mine, or depart from me, I knew you not. And it causes us to ask the question, can I really be assured of my salvation? Or how do I handle it when my faith is really tested? When the ship that I'm on encounters rough seas right in the middle of my journey? John Wesley was an Anglican priest in the Church of England. He'd grown up in a religious household. He was educated at Christ Church College, which is part of the University of Oxford. And he diligently pursued a holy life, forming a small group with other like-minded men. In 1735, John Wesley set sail for the American colony of Georgia, where he planned to evangelize the Native Americans who lived there. And on board that ship, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, a great storm arose. Now, the ship was filled with both English passengers and German Moravian Christians. The Moravians were just beginning to have a worship service right as the storm hit full force. And John Wesley wrote about the storm in his journal. He wrote, in the midst of the psalm, wherewith their service began, the sea broke over, split the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans sang calmly on. I asked one of them afterward, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. John Wesley was deeply moved by the faith of those Moravians they had a deep assurance of their faith in God, even in the midst of that terrible storm. And it made Wesley question his own faith. 
Everyone on board that ship survived that terrible storm, and they arrived safely in Georgia. And when John Wesley landed in the colony, one of the very first persons to greet him was a German Moravian named August Gottlieb Spannenberg. Now, is that a great German name or what? August Gottlieb Spannenberg. And he asked Wesley some questions just to get to know him a little bit better, questions that were typical of Moravian pietism. He said, have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? And Wesley wrote in his journal, I was surprised and knew not what to answer. Spangenberg noticed and asked, do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and said, I know he is the Savior of the world. Now remember, Wesley lived in the age of enlightenment, right? Where reason and knowledge were held in the highest esteem. It was all about head knowledge. But Wesley found that something was missing. Spangenberg replied, true, but do you know he has saved you? I answered, I hope he has died to save me. He only added, do you know yourself? And I said, I do, but I fear they were vain words. Wesley had a rough two years in the colony of Georgia. And then he returned to England, and as he did, those questions about his faith were still nagging him. What was missing in Wesley? Listen to this passage from God's word for a clue, Romans 8, 14 to 16. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, as believers... When we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And through that Spirit, we can be assured that we are children of God. There is an inward testimony from God's Spirit to our Spirit that we are children of God. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Wesley still had a way to go until he discovered this truth for himself. And eventually, it became a solid theological truth that he could not help but share with everyone he met. So he's back in England, and it's 1738, and Wesley continued to have this crisis of faith. He confided in another Moravian friend named Peter Bowler that he was convinced of his own unbelief. And so Wesley thought that there was nothing left for him to do but to stop preaching altogether. After all, how can you preach faith to other people when you are not convinced that you have faith yourself? Wesley asked Bowler what he thought he should do. 
And Bowler famously advised Wesley that he should not stop preaching. Instead, he said, preach faith till you have it. And then, because you have it, you will preach faith. And so the very next day, Wesley followed Bowler's advice. And the first person he spoke about his faith to was a condemned prisoner. And Wesley was hesitant to proclaim to him the extravagance of God's grace because he had never been very much of a believer in deathbed conversions. But to Wesley's surprise, the prisoner repented of his sins and experienced the kind of release and assurance which Wesley himself was yearning for. So Wesley continued to preach, even as he was longing for an assurance of his own, of his personal direct experience of salvation, which all of the Moravians seemed to have so strongly. And then just a few months later, on May the 24th, 1738, John Wesley had his famous heartwarming experience of the Holy Spirit on Aldersgate Street in London. He writes, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. In this moment, when John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed, the scripture from Romans 8-2 came alive for him. It says, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And Wesley understood in that moment that the direct testimony of the Holy Spirit applies the words of Scripture to a person's heart. And then faith is called forth from that person by God's grace, communicated through Christ, through the same Spirit. And Wesley now understood Romans 8.16 where it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And he understood it to be a promise to every Christian believer that they will receive a definite personal assurance of salvation upon believing in Jesus Christ. He proclaimed that this promise of assurance is a mysterious gift of the Holy Spirit who makes an inward impression on the soul, whereby the Spirit of God directly witnesses to my spirit that I am a child of God, that Jesus Christ has loved me and given himself for me, and that all of my sins are blotted out, and I, even I, am reconciled to God. How about you? Have you ever had that experience of knowing without a doubt that your sins are forgiven, that you are a child of God, that you're no longer a servant, but you are a son or a daughter, an heir of the king. 
has the Holy Spirit borne witness to your spirit about these truths? I think it can happen in lots of different times and lots of different places. And I don't think it's just a one-time thing either. For me in my life, it's come at a confirmation retreat or at a Promise Keeper stadium event. Maybe for you, it's come on a walk to Emmaus. I've experienced the witness of the Holy Spirit with my spirit while reading Scripture or while praying by the lakeshore or while worshiping God, listening to music on the back porch of my house on a summer's night. I've experienced in the sacrament of Holy Communion And every time I think what a blessing that assurance is, a gift that God so freely gives to us. Well, in Wesley's day, lots of Anglican church leaders didn't like his teaching about assurance. He was labeled an enthusiast. Now, today, in the 21st century, that doesn't sound like such a bad thing, does it? But in the 18th century, an enthusiast was someone who was a religious fanatic. You know the kind of person I'm talking about? Well, remember, this was an age of reason, and so objectivity was really important. Knowing something in your head was important. Feelings, they weren't so important. So some of the Anglican bishops of Wesley's day thought that he was teaching people to trust in their own inner experiences or their impulses or their visions rather than teaching people to trust in Christ. And Wesley absolutely rejected this accusation, claiming he wasn't doing anything other than teaching what the scriptures proclaim and what the early church already experienced. That when someone is justified by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, that they will experience an inner assurance in their heart that they are saved. Now, for Wesley, there was a proper balance between the objectivity of what is known and the subjectivity of what one feels. Listen to the emphasis of his own testimony when it is read objectively. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You see, the emphasis here is on the objective work of the Spirit, isn't it? In the warming of his heart and the giving him of the good news of salvation. But listen to the emphasis in his testimony when it is read subjectively. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You see, the accent here 
is on what John Wesley felt as he received the operations of the Holy Spirit in his soul, of warming his heart and giving him the good news of salvation. And when he speaks of a feeling in the heart, he means not only an emotion or affection, but also a, a perception or a sense in one's soul of the action of God. You see, Wesley believed that it is God's purpose to fill his children with the certainty and the joy of their salvation. And he believed that Christians should pray for that and expect it as a good gift of God. So one of the ways we know with assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ is through the witness of the Holy Spirit with our inner spirit. And a second way we can have assurance is by faith in the promises of God. You see, God's word is filled with all kinds of objective truths about God's promises given to us. And this is part of maintaining the proper balance between objectivity and subjectivity. In other words, the subjective experience of assurance has to be understood as our response to the objective truths of God. Truths like Jesus' words in John 5, 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Or Romans 5, 8 to 11, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Or Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or my favorite passage in all of Scripture, Romans 8.38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus said, we have to hear these words from Scripture and then believe them. We can know with assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ through the witness of the Holy Spirit with our spirit, by faith in the promises of God's word, and also by the fruit of the Spirit born in our lives. I think about those German Moravian Christians who did not fear death, but instead had the complete peace and assurance that their lives were in Christ's hands, even in the midst of stormy seas. I think of my friend Dora Kirby, who led the first disciple Bible study class that I ever took. She invited me to serve with her on the church's pastor parish relations committee. She had the most beautiful gift 
of hospitality. And when she was diagnosed with liver cancer and given three months to live, I saw her face her death with dignity, with great faith, and with an immense peace. You see, Dora had the assurance that she was in the hands of Jesus. And I remember Clara, who faced her inoperable brain tumor with a smile on her face and a joy in her heart that she would soon be going to meet her Lord, Jesus Christ. She had the assurance that she was in the hands of Jesus. And I think about Bud, who faced his imminent passing from this life into the next without any fear at all and with a great peace in his heart because he had the assurance that he was in the hands of Jesus. John Wesley's own dying words show that he had received the gift of God's assurance through the Holy Spirit. He said, and best of all, God is with us. Galatians 5, to 23 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when we see these gifts of the Holy Spirit at work and increasing in our life and in the life of people that we know, we can have the assurance of our salvation and know that the Holy Spirit is still at work, is still at work through his sanctifying grace in our lives. There may be moments when rough seas remove a sense of personal assurance and maybe lapses into sin will lead you to doubt. But you see, a relationship, and being a child of God is just that, it's a relationship is never broken off. Because the same God who graciously justifies us and sets us right also preserves us in every single one of our weaknesses. The merit of our identity isn't based on our subjective knowledge, but on the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit alive and at work in our lives. My friends, assurance is a gift of God to his children, you and me. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we give you thanks for the gift of assurance through the power of the Holy Spirit. We give you thanks, God, for your word, all of the promises throughout your word, God, that remind us how you created us and loved us and redeemed us and are sanctifying us to set us free. And we thank you for the fruit in our lives, God, that bear witness that you are still at work in our lives, that your work is not finished and won't be until the day we meet you face to face. We give you thanks, Lord, for those people in our own lives, each of our lives, that have known without a doubt that assurance. And we thank you, God, for the assurance that we carry today. And I pray for everyone here this very moment. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you testify with our spirits within, reminding us that we are a child of God 
that you have broken every chain, that we are your sons and daughters. For God, you've done it before. You're doing it now. And we believe that you'll do it again. And so we love you with complete assurance that we are your beloved sons and daughters. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.